0: When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news! You found the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. Grant is the founder of Dorhout Retirement Services, and he's been guiding people financially and into retirement for nearly 20 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. It's time for the Retirement Blueprint. And now, here are your hosts, Grant Dorhout and Jeff Shea.
1: Good morning and welcome to the Retirement Blueprint, the show that gives you the straight talk and auto answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. On today's show, we're going to be talking about October inflation figures. Are we seeing the light at the end of the tunnel? We'll find out more about that also the various levels of risk involved with different investments, and then why the last five years before retirement are critical. My name's Jeff Shade and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but of course the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Grant Dorhout, founder and wealth advisor of Dorhout Retirement Services right here in Omaha. Grant, good morning, how you doing today?
2: Not gonna lie, I'm uh, I'm actually recovering from a little bit of a food coma.
1: We had uh, we, we've had turkey so much the last <laughs> couple of weeks. I uh, know, man, crazy. <laughs> It's crazy. Been good, but that food coma that really does exist. It, it, what is it? I think they call it tryptophan or something that's in the turkey. Yep. And oh then, yeah. Like an hour or two after you eat that stuff, man, you just want to go to sleep. It happens every year, and yet it still gets me. (laughs) Well, I I Uh, guess that's one way to keep the kids quiet feed them a lot of turkey. Yep. (laughs) Yep.
2: Well, yeah, we actually. I got a funny story about my son, Evan. He actually, yeah. he's, a, he's a pretty big kid. And it, it, this just popped into my head from <laughs> years ago when he was maybe, oh, he had to be nine months old. He started eating turkey and stuffing, uh, and he just kept asking for more and more and more and more. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he, he kind of, very <laughs> it was so funny. He takes this last little bite, puts it in his mouth and then he leans over the side of the <laughs> <laughs> of his high chair and he just was like oh and that's it it was so funny at nine months old he did that it was, i could just uh, see it, that that is so oh, funny oh my that'll gosh. be burned into my memory forever <laughs> just uh that is the perfect description of what food come is what he just uh, yeah did, so well we're so lucky
1: in this country to be able to do things like that when i think of other countries where food is somewhat of a luxury i mean we really have mm-hmm. to be thankful for the things that we have here And speaking of which, you know, we have more than we need. And at this time of the season, I really want people to really look around and be thankful for the things that they have, no matter how small they are, because there are a lot of people who are very envious of what we have. And to that end, Grant, I want to talk about Heartland Hope here a little bit this segment of the show. I know we do it every week but how can we help those less fortunate in our community through Heartland Hope?
2: Yeah, that's a good thing that you just brought up there. We just got done giving away pies to our clients, uh, got some opportunity this week, Thanksgiving week, to have our clients come in and just see them during this uh, this wonderful time of year and, and, and having that food drive for Heartland Hope so that they can help out those in our community that are a little less fortunate. You can actually go right on their website and there's all kinds of different ways that you can help them either through volunteering your time or you, you obviously can donate money, but we we chose this week to give up some canned goods and things that they're really needing at Heartland Hope so that they can bless those that are less fortunate in our community. There's a couple of different locations. There's one that's in South Omaha, and then there's another one out on just off of Center L area uh, mm-hmm. at about 130th or so, somewhere around there but I would encourage people to check that out. It's one of the the organizations that we've worked with the last couple of years in terms of of doing a food drive right around Thanksgiving. And it's just a good combination between giving away pies to our clients and then also helping bless those that are less fortunate during a time of year when we can all be very, very thankful for the country that we live in. And not only that, how we're blessed in our businesses and, and just how we're blessed financially.
1: Well, if you're blessed and you have more than you need, of course, think of those people who do not have that. My wife and I, every year... About this time, we do a little research and find a family or two that could really use a little something extra at Christmas time. So, you know, we'll get them a a turkey dinner, we'll buy uh, gifts and then take them out on Christmas Eve to that family. It really, really is a blessing that we're able to do that. It means so much to us. So it is the spirit of giving. It is the holiday season. And remember Heartland Hope in your gifting strategy this year. Okay, Grant, let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the economy and whether or not we're seeing a gift here. The CPI report says that in October, inflation cooled to 3.2%. There's some people dancing in the street and they're saying, wow, (laughs) there's the light at the end of the tunnel. Are we necessarily really out of the woods?
2: I wouldn't say light at the end of the tunnel because we do a lot of projections in terms of inflationary needs moving forward, and I don't want to run out of projection for 3.2% for the next 25 years because that gets pretty daunting if you do that. I was talking with someone just yesterday doing a review with one of my clients that's out of state, and he said, "Hey, what's going on with inflation?" Because I know that you know what looked like a year ago was $20, now is more like 30. So you know, in certain areas areas, the 3.2% is not quite accurate. Uh, I mean, it's, it is it is accurate overall, but the things that you're really spending money on, if you have a, a young family and you're trying to feed a 15-year-old growing boy like I am, right. uh, you know that that 3.2% isn't actually in what we're spending money on. I know that the gasoline prices has definitely helped quite a bit. And You know, the issue with looking at that CPI number, in my opinion, is the fact that, okay, if we have trucking numbers that have gone up exponentially to move food and goods across our country, well, if gasoline prices go down just by a little bit. Yes, we can see that in that 3.2%, but we're not going to see that at the grocery store right away. I mean, these types of things take a long time and we're probably not going to see those freight numbers go down. So I'm not as excited at the 3.2 number as some people are out there, but definitely a step in the right direction. I will be a lot more excited once we start seeing more like that 2.5% range. Then I'll start saying, okay, now I think we might have the light at the end of the tunnel, but I don't think we're quite quite there yet.
1: That is good news. But then when I flip the page on the computer there, then I see another article that says one (laughs) of Wall Street's biggest bears says a huge crash is coming as markets Mm -hmm. are in the biggest credit bubble in history. So it's good news on one page and it's bad news on the other. What do you make of that prognosticator who says that, uh, you know, this Wall Street crash is going to come as a result of the biggest credit bubble in history?
2: Well, you think about credit bubble, I mean, we we are increasing our national debt at breakneck speed and we don't show any signs of stopping that's really where this this information is coming from this person that brought this up and i don't really disagree i don't know that it's going to happen really really soon but i i don't disagree that our credit crisis that we have in our country it's going to have to come to you know a day of reckoning so to speak at some point now when is that there's a lot of room to debate whether it's in the next 2 years or in the next 6 years you know that's where we're kind of looking 6 7 years but They're not wrong. We have a problem. And the issue that I have is we have an election coming next year. I'm not sure if you're aware, Jeff, in
1: 2024. I I heard something about that. (laughs) Yeah, something about that. But but
2: what my biggest issue is, this is something that no one's going to talk about. And I think we have to have people that are bold and confident and honest. And they will say, hey, we have this problem and this is how we're going to fix it versus we have these politicians, whether it doesn't matter if it's Republican, Democrat, Independent, they're standing up on these podiums all the time saying this is what i'm going to give you this is how i'm going to make your life better but we're not addressing one of the biggest things that could take a bite out of our economy and that is our national debt crisis this is a crisis that we have to address so i i don't disagree i just don't know that it's you know i don't think it's like right after the first of the year or something like that that we're going to see that big of a of a market crash but But yeah, I I couldn't agree more. We have a credit crisis and we have issues that we need to address sooner than later.
1: Yeah. And from a personal standpoint, I mean, people are still racking up this credit card debt like there's no tomorrow. I personally Mm -hmm. have stopped using credit cards. I use everything on my debit card. I wish the United States government would sort of get a handle (laughs) on that sort of thing. We've just recently averted another government shutdown. So I don't know about Mm -hmm. this. But uh, anyway, interesting times here. Let's talk a little bit about the holiday season and hiring. I see that the demand has been dropping off, which is a warning for the job market.
2: Yeah, simple right there. We were talking about this off the air. Amazon. Amazon is dominating a lot of different areas. Now, actually, it looks like Hyundai is going to be selling cars on there. So how much demand do we have at these retail stores? How much demand do we have? You can even see it at McDonald's where, hey, you know, there might be only one person that's floating around being able to take orders because they want everyone to do everything automated. And that's just kind of the way that we're shifting is more and more automated. This is part of the AI stuff that we got going on in our country as well. I don't know that we're, we're at a tipping point where we're going to see a lot of problem yet in the job market, but it's definitely moving that way.
1: Yeah, that was interesting when I saw that Amazon was getting into the car selling business. And as you said, the first manufacturer Mm -hmm. to step up and partner is going to be Hyundai. We're going to see how that works out. Carvana's uh, stock took a bit of a tumble there, too. Nobody really wants to go head-to-head with the 800-pound gorilla. The only thing is, if you don't like your Hyundai, I don't believe that you can take it and drop it off at Whole Foods for an instant (laughs) refund at all. No. But nevertheless, let's talk about Small Business Saturday. That's what we're in right now. And don't forget those mom-and-pop retailers up and down Main Street who really are there to serve you. So tell me a little bit more about Small Business Saturday and why you think it's important to shop locally as well.
2: I think it's an absolutely awesome thing to be focused in that way. I've heard it for years on the radio here in Omaha. I think the number is if you spend a dollar locally with a small mom-and-pop store... It has a three times multiple in terms of our local economy just here in Omaha. And when I'm talking about that, yeah, Amazon's great. We all use Amazon. We like Amazon, but we shouldn't use it for everything because that's going to that big conglomerate that's Amazon. It's not really helping our local economy. And when I'm saying buy things locally, I'm not saying go to your local Walmart. (laughs) That's not what we're meaning. That's not that. No, it doesn't. It's going to help, but it's not going to be the same multiple. What we're wanting to do on days like today, the small business Saturday, we want to we be looking for a, a small family business, whether it be, it doesn't matter if it's a convenience store, it doesn't matter if it's a shoemaker or a, a shoe repair store, it doesn't really matter what it is. We just want to try and stay as local as possible and help the families that are, that are having these businesses in our right. community. And, and that's going to help us all in the long run. And that, I, I love Saturdays like this where we can focus on how can we help those around us. And this is another big way that we can during this Thanksgiving season is help the businesses that are local. And that's in turn going to help yourself as well.
1: I have always been a fan of these local hardware stores, Grant, you know, growing up and fixing things and so forth. There's nothing like the smell of going into mm-hmm. an old fashioned <laughs> local hardware store where the floors yep. creak and everything and you ask the guy behind the counter where a particular thing is that you need. But you'd be surprised mm-hmm. at the things that you can buy locally. You know, you can get a pizza from a national chain, but you know, there is Bob and Tom pizza shop over there, which is pretty good too. So again, mm-hmm. we invite everybody to shop locally this Saturday. You're listening to the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. My name's Jeff Shade. We're so thankful you decided to make us a part of your weekend. We want you to call 402-281-0750 this weekend, if you will, and ask for your Dorhout Peace in Retirement Blueprint. It's just a friendly conversation between you and Grant to get your questions answered about your retirement journey. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could make all the difference in your retirement journey. Once again, no cost, no obligation for this. Get in and sit down with Grant. There is space on the calendar. You will get great service at DoorHout Retirement Services. Once again, that number, 402-2810. You can also request your complimentary consultation online at
0: Services.com. Want more strategies to support the quality of life you want for 30 plus years? Stick around. There's more Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout in just a moment. You can't start a trip you've never taken without a plan. And you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely. To request your no-cost, no-obligation Doorhout Retirement Roadmap, call 402-281-0750 or request it online at doorhoutretirementservices.com. Now, back to more of Retirement Blueprint with Grant Doorhout and Jeff Shade. Happy Thanksgiving weekend, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on
1: The Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. My name is Jeff Shade. We're always thankful for you to include us in your weekend plans here on News Talk 1290 Coil. And once again, if you'd like to get in and sit down with Grant, ask your questions about your retirement journey, that number is 402-281-0750, 402-281-0750. Once again, this is entirely complimentary. It is not going to cost you a dime and you can get in sooner than later, Grant. Do we have any appointment slots available for people here just after Thanksgiving?
2: Yeah, next week we typically open that one up. We haven't been doing any, um, any marketing events. We haven't been doing any dinner seminars or college-style classes. Uh, typically, we do a lot of time with reviews and time for some referrals and things like that between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we do have a, a few time slots each week leading up to Christmas.
1: So if you're looking to get in sooner or later and talk to somebody about your financial plans, remember Grant has got some time for you. And again, that number to call 402-281-0750. You can also request your plan online at doorhotretirementservices.com. Grant, there's something in the financial space called the Rule of 100, and it suggests that your age should be the percentage of assets you hold in bonds in your stock bond portfolio. Now, if you're 60, for example, you'd put 60% of your assets in bonds in your portfolio and so on. Is investment risk management, Grant, really this simple?
2: Uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, pretty much that's about it. You want to talk about something else?
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, Grant, according to my clock here, I've got about another 20 minutes or so, and uh, there is no band, <laughs> there's no studio audience here. So if you could just give me a few details on this.
2: All right, we can talk about a couple more. I, I think when I think about this one is that is way too simple. You can't just say hey there's a one size fits all hey everybody should do the exact same thing and you know i've heard someone on the radio in the past say that certain insurance products are horrible and certain insurance products are great and all you need to do is just put all your money into these good growth stock mutual funds and although that can be a piece i think that's just way too simplistic so we have to keep in mind when we're thinking of these very very simple one size fits all things that there is no perfect investment. There's no such thing as a perfect investment. So when you think about that, then it leads you to say, well, no, it's not that simple. Everyone is different. When I meet someone that's 60, they may want 80% of their money in equities. They may Mm -hmm. want 20% of their money in equities and that's dictated by their risk tolerance and what they really need from that. So, so when you think about it, you know, you look at stocks and bonds and mutual funds, annuities, the list goes on and on. You watch someone like Jim Cramer on the TV and you say, wow, gosh, you know, that guy's compelling and you know, he likes these particular stocks. I should throw all my money in that. You got to keep in mind that jim kramer's an entertainer he's right. actually not an advisor he doesn't right. have a responsibility to do anything in a fiduciary capacity for you so understanding the risk and safety and and, and the, everything in between is much more complicated than just hey yeah take the rule of 100 and this is what everyone should do it may work out or it may be very detrimental for someone depending on what their goals are
1: And if someone's just offering you a stock bond portfolio, I would call that certainly a limited scope advisor. There are a lot more tools in the toolbox at DoorHout Retirement Services. And of course, Grant, we know that every investment has some element of risk to it. But I want to talk about the different risk factors with different investments that we may be able to offer people at DoorHout Retirement Services. I understand the more risk, the greater potential reward. Would that be a fair statement?
2: Yeah, it used to be, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, it used to be really pronounced where, you know, hey, if we got fixed investments giving you a half a percent or less or maybe 1% on a CD or something like that, you know, then the difference between that type of an investment and an equity was much, much wider of a gap. And now that gap has closed a decent amount with our CDs, our money markets getting up to where they are today. But yes, absolutely. When you take more risk, there is definitely going to be a potential for a higher reward over time.
1: Grant, I've got a list here of investments that I want to go down with you. There are approximately a dozen of these. I want to talk about the risk factor with each of these. The first one is going to be cash and CDs. Can you comment on the risk of cash and CDs?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Really simple. I met with someone not that long ago. Maybe they're listening on the radio. They uh, told me they were business owners. They're really, really conservative and they were just in cash. And I said, well, what do you mean? You're just in cash. Like you just got the money in the bank and, and they had seven figures actually over two million dollars literally in cash and i was really confused when they told me that i asked them what what's going on with this like what caused you to get there and they just said they don't trust anyone they don't trust anything but they Hmm. trusted the safe deposit box and I was a little bit dumbfounded that someone would have that much cash in a safe deposit box because what happens if we have a fire? I mean, everyone has has a safe at home in all likelihood. We have plenty of people that they keep certain gold and silver and cash in a safe at their home. But what happens if you have a fire? What happens if you get robbed? I mean, there's a significant risk of those things. Now, although the likelihood of those things is lower, it's not that, well, hey, if I hold this cash, I have absolutely no risk. So you have to keep in mind, you know, how much you should actually have in cash? Because if I have $50,000 in cash in the bank, it's different than if I have $50,000 cash in the safe. Because if I show up with $50,000 cash at the bank, what happens? We're going to have a boatload of questions on oh, how yeah. you get this $50,000 <laughs> right. in cash. I mean, you you <laughs> breach the threshold of what the banks typically think is normal. So you gotta be careful with how much you hold in that because you just, I mean, you can't travel with $50,000 cash across no. the country. I mean, that's no. gonna be, well, what are you doing with that? I mean, and, that, and some of that stuff is very Healthy for our nation. You don't want someone just being able to run around with fifty thousand dollars cash and actually do some nefarious activity with that illegal activity. So, so certain risks and measures that are preventing us from having a lot of cash. You just shouldn't keep that much, in my opinion. From a CD standpoint, if you have less than two hundred fifty thousand dollars in a CD, it's not actually that big of a deal. I mean, if if something happens, you have FDIC insurance and everything. I wouldn't want personally any of my clients to have any five hundred thousand or a million or two million. CDs. That's just taking on risk that you actually don't need. So from a CD standpoint, that's what I would look like. If you have a CD that has a step up, an automatic step up, I've been seeing those quite a bit for the last 10 years where, hey, if rates go up in the 12 month CD that you have, well, then they'll automatically step that up. A lot of times what I see is people are wanting to take seven month CDs. And and right now, when you have interest rates this high, I would look at, okay, well, if I can get a five-year CD or a three-year CD, if you like CDs, I'm saying, if I can get a five-year CD or a three-year CD that has an automatic step up if interest rates go up, I wouldn't be opposed to that one bit. And here's the reason why, because I think that, you know, you look at maybe a year down the road, we're probably, going to see a decrease in rates maybe in a year. Okay, I could be wrong, but let's say we do receive a decrease in rates a year from now. We're currently at CD rates that we haven't seen for 20 years. So why not take advantage of that? Let's get that for five years if we can, and especially if they're going to have an automatic step up for you. But the risks that are associated with CD, obviously, if, if the bank goes under and, and we go over that $250,000 FDIC amount, uh, that that's one of your biggest risks that you're going to associate with that. So as long as our United States government doesn't fold, we got we feel pretty good about FDIC insurance at this point.
1: So cash and cash equivalents such as CDs relatively low risk and I'll say relatively low risk as I said there's some risk with everything but then the Mm -hmm. return on these is not that great either so low risk usually means low return. Next one on my list here is fixed annuities. How risky are they on a general basis?
2: Well, you have to be very aware of the fact that every annuity that is out there is as good as the claims paying ability of the insurer. So if you buy an annuity from XYZ insurance company, they have certain reserve requirements that they have to abide by. They have to have that money available. They have to have that money in relatively safe investments so that that insurance company can't go poof gone. Because if you see Silicon Valley Bank, for instance, all of a sudden they get this big old run on the bank and then all of a sudden, hey, we got issues. If we have more than $250,000 in that bank, that doesn't happen in an annuity space or in an insurance company space because they have those reserve requirements. So I have people all the time and when we talk about annuities with people, they ask, well, is it FDIC insured? Well, think about it. FDIC is insurance on the bank that needs the insurance, the insurance company and just the structure of the annuity makes it in a space where you don't have to have that concern of not having FDIC insurance. I would encourage everyone to look at higher rated insurance companies, though. I wouldn't look at anything lower than a B plus rated company. And the reason is you're going to find a, you know, if you find a C rated carrier, well, that's it's going to give you a higher rate because you are taking on more risk of that insurance company having some potential issues. Now, do I have particular concerns over an A-rated carrier or a B-plus rated carrier? What if that company doesn't have the same name in two or three or five or 10 years? Is that a big concern? Typically, no, because insurance companies don't go poof, gone. Mm -hmm. If you see an insurance company that has some financial trouble, what you'll typically see is that there's a bigger fish that'll come along and they will typically purchase that company. So you're just going to be a part of a bigger company, maybe someone like Pacific Life or Allianz or something like that that's that's a really, really big fish, they may buy that particular company that isn't as large, but I would not personally go lower than a B-plus rating.
1: We're talking with Grant Dorhout here of Dorhout Retirement Services, and we're talking about the risk versus safety continuum with various investments. We talked about cash and CDs, fixed annuities, Next on my list is fixed index annuities. How do they differ from fixed annuities as far as risk goes?
2: Yeah, and we put this one actually as a higher risk than a fixed annuity because when you have a fixed annuity, it's a fixed amount of interest for a fixed period of time. So if Mm -hmm. I get X amount of percent for interest for five years, that's what I'm going to get. It's not going to fluctuate. It's not going to change. The reason we put this one as a higher risk level is because if you have a fixed indexed annuity, it's index linked to the market is the way I like to look at it is, if I'm following the S&P 500, and let's say I have a 10 or 11% as my cap rate, on the S&P 500. What that means is if the S&P 500 goes up 5%, you get 5%. If it goes up 8, you get 8. If it goes up 15 though, well then you're subject to the cap. You can't go beyond what the cap rate is inside of that fixed index annuity. So you have that cap there, but the risk comes if the market goes down. If the S&P 500 goes down 20%, you wouldn't lose anything. You wouldn't go down, but you would have the potential of getting a zero. So It's more fluctuation on a year by year basis. That's why we put a fixed index annuity on a little bit higher risk profile than a fixed annuity. The same rules apply to the fixed index annuity from an insurance carrier standpoint as the fixed annuity. I wouldn't look at anything less than a B+ rated carrier. I like A-rated carriers, and you just have to be mindful of what you're going to give up if you go with a A-rated carrier versus B-plus and so on and so forth, and vice versa, I should say. Between those two, there's value in each of them. Just which one do you want to take advantage of?
1: We're going up the risk meter here with Grant Dorhout of Doerhout Retirement Services. Insofar as investments goes, how risky are you willing to be in your retirement planning? We've talked about cash and CDs, fixed annuities and fixed index annuities. We've got some more to talk about here, Grant. But in the meantime, I want to ask our listeners if you've got questions about your risk tolerance versus your risk capacity. I want you to get in and sit down with Grant at Doorhout Retirement Services and get your complimentary piece in Retirement blueprint. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime. Talk about your risk tolerance, how risky you should be, or more importantly, how risky you want to be. I think that's a better conversation. The number to call 402-281-0750. You can call it this weekend if you want while you're thinking about it. Simply leave your information there. Lisa will get back to you on Monday and schedule an appointment for you and Grant to talk. And you don't have to wait months and months to get in and talk with Grant. Plenty of appointments or slots that are open this week for you. So do it today. 402-281-0750. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime. 402 You can also request it online at doorhotretirementservices.com. And if you call, and as a holiday bonus, we're going to send you out Grant's book, Modern Retirement Strategies. So once again, to get yours, 402 281 You're online at doorhotretirementservices.com.
0: Want more talk about sustaining your wealth and thriving in a retirement that could last 30-plus years? Stay tuned for more Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout after this. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good, because it's time for more Retirement Blueprint with your financial Sherpas, Grant Dorhout and Jeff Shea. If you're just joining us, this is Retirement Blueprint with
1: Grant Dorhout. I'm Jeff Shade, and we are discussing risk tolerance and risky investments here, their potential risk, and how it applies to you. Remember, if you want to hear the show again, don't worry, we're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcast. Search for The Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. You'll get this show and all of our past shows so you can stay on top of your wealth and your journey towards a successful retirement. Once again, if you want to get in and sit down with Grant, that number, 402-281-0750. That's the number to get your Peace in Retirement blueprint. Once again, four zero two two eight one zero seven fifty. entirely complimentary, not going to cost you a dime. You can also request it online at com. Okay, Grant, let's continue with our conversation. We were talking about investments and potentially how risky they are. We started with cash and CDs, relatively safe. But again, we want to point out that every investment has some element of risk to it. It's just a matter of how risky they can be. Let's now step it up a little bit on our risk meter and go up to universal life.
2: Yeah, so I want to put two of them here. One is the guarantee universal life and then the indexed universal life. The reason that we put these at a little bit higher risk level is because of certain charges, mortality costs that are associated with them. That An indexed universal life, for instance, what it'll do is it will follow a particular index, just like a fixed index annuity. It'll do the exact same thing like we were talking about in the last segment, where if you have, let's just say for an easy figure, let's say we have a 10% cap and a 0% floor. Well, Mm -hmm. yeah, if the S&P 500 is the one that we're following, if it goes up 8%, you're going to get 8%. And then if it goes up 15%, you're going to get 10%. You're not going to get more than what that cap is. It's a hard cap. But then on the flip side, if the market goes down, you're not going to go down with it. So if the market goes down 20%, for instance, you would get zero as you're crediting. The reason I put this as a little bit higher risk level is because of those charges that are internal. And you have to be aware of those. I'm not saying that they're bad or that they're evil or anything. But what they are is it's going to give you a heightened level of risk because it's going to be dragging on that performance of the portfolio, and that's going to happen on an annual basis inside of that index universal life. If if there's a utilized properly, though, those shouldn't matter as much if you're utilizing a good company. In this area, I would actually not look at a B-plus rated carrier, though. Mm -hmm. I would look at more of the A-rated carriers. You want more reliability there than a B-plus rating carrier on their life side actually looks that. But I would love utilizing IUL in certain aspects of tax planning. There's a lot of ways that people don't even understand how they can use that, that we can utilize the index universal life. On the flip side, the guarantee universal life, that one, it's more like a guaranteed renewable term, but it's going to give you a time horizon where you can run it out to, you know, it might be 85 or 90 years old or, or even 95. You're not going to go much beyond that now with your GUL policies. And so the risk inside of that is if I pay money into this for 90 years and then pass away at 91 well that can be an issue so just a little bit heightened level of risk there but it, not saying that it's risky I'm right. saying that there's a that element of risk just goes up a little bit on that meter there
1: where do stocks fall on our risk meter well if you think it's next you would be wrong the next one is going to be structured notes Grant
2: yeah, structured notes. I love the way that these can be utilized as an alternative investment inside of our retirement portfolios. And you can utilize these either in a growth note or an income note, the way that we will utilize them. And and you're going to have some level of protection on the downside when we utilize these structured notes through the banks that we have. But it's gonna be limited in all likelihood. You could have 100% FDIC insurance on them. However, you're going to greatly diminish the return. So what we'll typically look at is if there's some barrier protection that's on the downside of the market, if the market's down less than what that barrier is during the time frame that you elected, well, you're not gonna have any losses, you're not gonna have any gains, but you're not gonna have any losses inside of that type of a growth note. But if you breach that barrier, Jeff, what you're gonna see is that you're gonna absorb all of the loss that's inside of that particular time frame, whether it be a three-year time frame or a five-year time frame. When we're looking at growth notes, I like to look a little bit longer term. I don't want to look at something that's 15 months. There's just too many variables that we don't know is going to happen, you know, eight, nine, ten months from now, especially when we're looking into a, an election year like next year. So I would look at a growth note that's going to be longer term, maybe three or four or five years. And on the income note side, that's going to give you a, a fixed payout of a certain amount of a percentage. And it might be a semi annual payout, it might be an annual payout, much like a bond would pay, but it's going to be functioning different with certain types of protections like if the market fluctuates it's okay as long as it doesn't breach your barrier then you're not gonna have any losses and you get your fixed payout that you're gonna have for that time frame those types of structured notes jeff i'm much more comfortable looking at something like a 12 or a 15 or a 24 months some people want to lock it in longer i have no problem with that but if we're looking at okay how short can i go in this duration on this particular note shorter is okay in the income notes longer is better in my opinion on the growth note because even if it does breach a barrier on an income note during that time frame you still got your fixed payout during that time frame so it can offset any potential loss during that time that's why we would look potentially more short term on the income note longer term on the growth notes
1: we're talking about the risk versus safety continuum with various investments with Grant Doorhout here of Doorhout Retirement Services. Again, we're talking about the potential risk. Remember, every investment has risk, the least risky to the most risky. We've covered cash and CDs, fixed annuities, fixed index annuities, universal life, also structured notes. Next on mm-hmm. the list, Grant, is what?
2: bond funds. We're looking right. at bond funds. So we're not looking at individual bonds here. What we're doing is we're looking at certain bond mutual funds that you can see out there. And, and this would be, you know, if you see something that says income fund or income fund of America or something like that, that's the particular type of fund that I'm speaking about right here. And that's going to have a collection of different bonds that are packaged together inside of this mutual fund and they're sold and it might be for income. It might just be to generate a yield inside of a particular portfolio or whatever it may be, the issue that I have with a bond fund or the risks that you're gonna have associated with it is let's say, like we've seen in the last year, if interest rates go up significantly, well, if I have purchased a bond an individual bond, then I have that risk that if interest rates go up, then the value of my bond goes down. Now, I don't have a risk of anything if I don't sell the bond, but when you have a bond fund, you have that issue, is you don't actually have that right to say no because you've already paid your expense ratio to pay a money manager to actually make the decision for you. So if they determine that it is best to sell a bond at a loss well then they're going to do that and you don't really have any say inside of it now where it's less risky than a individual type of a bond is you are spreading out the risk over a bunch of different bonds and they they can be anywhere i mean it might be international it might be domestic it might be right here in your own state or even in your own town you're not going to see that you're going to have a collection of a bunch of them in your own town you're going to have to go a little bit more broad than that but you do spread out the risk that you have associated with it but if interest rates go up you have a significant risk that you may be absorbing inside of a bond fund
1: grant i'm going to go out on a limb here i'm going to take a wild guess and i'm going to ask you we talked <laughs> about bond funds are individual bonds next
2: yeah, you got it. All right, ding yeah. ding. <laughs> yeah. Winter, winter Good chicken job. dinner, right? Or turkey dinner,
1: like or we turkey just had, dinner right? in this case? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. The individual bonds, obviously, when you get concentrated on one particular asset, your risk level is going to go up. You may like the individual bond, and that's okay. But what happens if that municipality goes bust? I mean, we've seen that in areas like Stockton, California, or certain areas in Detroit, or we have, you know, I mean, an entire country of Greece that had to get bailed out several years ago. You know, when you start concentrating your position down, you better make sure that that's going to be an entity that you're confident that is going to be able to give your money back because if they go bust, well, who are you going to sue if that actually goes away? If they go poof gone, so to speak, if they're irresponsible with those funds that you lent them, then you're going to have a much more significant risk on the individual bonds. Now, inside of an individual bond where you can actually offer, offset some of the risk is if, like when we were talking about the interest rates, if interest rates go up and the bond value goes down. Well, if I bought a individual bond from Bellevue Public Schools here in Omaha, if we bought one of those, for instance, and it's a five-year bond, if I hold it all the way to the end of the duration of that five years, they're going to give you your money back and you're going to make interest rate that you signed up for during that time frame. So, that interest rates fluctuating up or down isn't isn't a really big concern for you in that scenario where it's a little bit different from the bond funds, the bond mutual funds that we discussed in the last one. It's just a little bit of a technicality where this one has a little bit more risk just because we're concentrated and the last one has a little bit more risk because you have someone else selling off an asset at a potential loss, maybe at a wrong time that you may not want. You don't have that risk in the individual bond bonds, though. I would be concerned of putting more than 5% of my net worth in any one individual bond. I would highly recommend not going more than that in any individual bond.
1: We're talking with Grant Dorhout of Dorhout Retirement Services, and we're climbing the potential risk ladder here. And just like any ladder, Grant, the higher you go, the more the (laughs) risk. And once again, remember, all investments have some element of risk. Well, by my math, Grant, we've covered about seven rungs right now. What is next on the risk ladder?
2: yeah we're going to look at buffer etfs a lot of people don't know how these actually operate but it's 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 similar to some of the other stuff that we talk about because it's gonna create some protection on the downside. However, it's not complete protection on the downside. So you might have a certain amount that you could make on the upside of this buffered ETF, for instance, but there's gonna be a a similar cap, like you might have a fixed index annuity. Now, the cap might be higher, but at the same time, they're gonna build in typically downside buffered levels. So and and you're going to see those over a particular period of time. And you can actually change what your risk Tolerance is or what your risk level is inside of these buffer ETFs, depending on the duration that you have. You might have a one year, you might have a two or three or a five year type of a scenario where you can change how much risk that there would be perceived in any different time frame. That's the way I would kind of think about the buffer ETFs. We will utilize these at times just to de risk an overall portfolio. Not that it makes it without any risk, of course. Every one of these has certain risk, but this is a little bit higher than what we were. Just Just talking about with the structured notes. This is a little bit higher because we don't have as high of a downside protection as you can actually find inside of the structured notes.
1: Grant, if our listeners would like to sit down with you and have a conversation about risk tolerance versus risk capacity, just how risky they should be in their investment portfolio. They want some answers. Of course, we are offering a no cost, no obligation peace and retirement blueprint meeting with Grant there at DoorHout Retirement Services. How do you get it? You call 402-281-0750. You can do it this weekend if you want. Leave your information there and Lisa will get back to you on Monday to set an appointment for you. And don't worry, you don't have to wait weeks or months to get into DoorHout Retirement Services. We've got plenty of appointments. We would love to talk to you here during the holiday season. Once again, 402-281-0750. Another thing I want to point out too is that when you do call that number, the person that you hear on the radio today, Grant, is the person that you'll be talking to. There aren't 12 or 15 advisors in this office and you don't get in and talk to one advisor and then when you go back, it's yet another advisor. There is Grant there giving you the individual attention that you need and you deserve on your path towards retirement again no cost no obligation there's no judgment for this at all 402-281-0750 call it this weekend you can also request your complimentary consultation online at doorhoutretirementservices.com d-o-r-h-o-u-t retirementservices.com
0: want more straight talk and honest answers about your wealth management and retirement journey stay with us there's more retirement blueprint with grant Dorhout here We're back with more strategies for a successful retirement. This is the Retirement Blueprint. Once again, here's Grant Dorout and Jeff Shea. Happy
1: Thanksgiving weekend. We are so thankful that you decided to join us here for the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout here on News Talk 1290 Coil. We're here on the air for you every week for your fiscal fitness and your financial education at 11 a.m. Once again, if you'd like to talk to Grant, no cost, no obligation, 402-281-0750, 402-281-0750. And Grant, in the beginning of the show, I talked about the fact that we would be talking today about the last five years before retirement and why they're critical. We call that the Retirement Red Zone. We're having such a great conversation here about the uh, risk meter here that we're going to hold that off until next week. We're talking about understanding the risk versus safety continuum here. And again, every investment has some element of risk. And Grant's opinion is that the least risky investment would be cash and CDs. We started off that way. As we begin to climb that risk ladder, we go on to fixed annuities, fixed index annuities, universal life, structured notes, bond funds, individual funds, buffered ETFs, and what is next on our list, Grant?
2: Yeah, that's where we're starting to look at mutual funds and ETFs. Now, we're not quite to an individual stock type of of a risk profile, but it's getting close because these mutual funds and ETFs. I mean, it's a collection of stocks. You know, if any individual stock might be inside of a particular mutual fund, you might have Apple inside of a mutual fund, for instance, or any company, really, if it's a growth stock mutual fund, you know, but you might have maybe, who knows, maybe 200 different stocks that are inside of it or 200 different positions inside of any individual one. Now people like the mutual funds because of the diversification that it gives you. It gives you a broad spectrum of different companies inside of a mutual fund. You're gonna have a little bit higher cost in a mutual fund than an ETF. You're gonna have that expense ratio inside of it. A lot of people don't know how to actually look at the other costs that are internal on a mutual fund. I'm not gonna get into the details of that. I do that inside of the office with people if they wanna see exactly what the cost are internally we look at that with them here now in an ETF you have not the diversification of a mutual fund it's just a little bit different because you can have a package of ETFs that you package together and and try and equal the diversification of a mutual fund but you're gonna have a much lower expense ratio you're gonna have much lower transactional costs inside of them and you can almost eliminate cash drag inside of an ETF because when you put a hundred thousand dollars into an ETF that is going to go into that ETF. If you put $100,000 into it inside of a mutual fund, you're going to have a pretty good amount of cash that actually sits inside of that mutual fund for certain distribution reasons that they have to have. But I would definitely put them above those buffered ETFs because there is no limitation on how much a mutual fund or an ETF can go down. If, If the market says that it's going down 20 or 30 or 40 or 50%, you're going to ride that down unless you decide to manually sell that particular asset versus the buffered ETFs, that they'll do that for you. So definitely a little bit higher risk level because there's no limit on how much it can go down. Now, the positives on that, obviously, is there's no limit on how much it can go up. If it's going to go up 20 or 30%, we don't limit that on these types of funds.
1: Crad, we're about three quarters of the way up the risk ladder here. I can see up there at the top, I don't see stocks just yet on this. I feel (laughs) that they're going to be on here pretty soon. But what is the next rung on this risk ladder?
2: Yeah, I'm looking at variable universal life and variable annuities. Now we obviously talked about annuities and universal life earlier, but this is a very different type of universal life and a very different type of an annuity because it's some of the higher costs that you're going to see inside of certain investments that are out there. If you look at certain variable annuities, you might have income riders, death benefit riders, mortality and expense charges, you might have, you know, your management costs, your admin costs, and then you actually put a mutual fund inside of that particular variable annuity or variable universal life that you're going to see. And this is kind of how I like to think of it. This isn't the technical terminology. I just like to tell people it this way, that a variable annuity and variable universal life, you're looking at like you have a mutual fund and then you wrap it in insurance. And there are certain things that you can get from them that are guarantees, whether you have a income rider on it or a death benefit rider. But if you don't put those things in there, there's not a lot of guarantee that you can experience inside of a variable annuity. So I put this above the mutual funds in the ETFs because it's not only a mutual fund inside of it, but you have all the charges that are on top of it for things that you may or may not need. The mortality and expense charge that's inside of a variable annuity is a, a really big one for me when I get to describe that for people they really understand that hey yeah we are taking much more risk than a particular mutual fund by wrapping it in this insurance and then on the variable universal life side if we're looking for something that's going to give us some security in our retirement or security that we're going to have a death benefit payout well, I can't have that really tied to the full benefit and the full detriment of particular stock markets. If the market is really in a downtrend, your cash value is going to be tied to that, and it's going to experience that on the downside. So because of the expenses that are inside of VUL and variable annuities, I put that above the mutual funds and the ETFs.
1: Grant, I feel my ladder getting a little more unsteady here. I want to be careful with this. (laughs) (laughs) I want to tie it off here at the top. But nevertheless, where are stocks? Are stocks next on the list or is there another one?
2: We're not quite there yet. Uh, right. We're actually up to private real estate investment trusts. When you start looking at a real estate investment trust, you have a package that's put together of these different properties and inside of these REITs that you have. The reason I have this at a little bit higher risk level is because of the lack of control that you have inside of it. Inside of a private real estate investment trust, you're gonna have something like I experienced a few years ago. I actually called over to a, for some office space that I was looking for and it was uh, it was in a big development area where it had you know it had a Walmart it had a Kohl's it had a Lowe's and it was right next to a Panera Bread and it was vacant for quite some time and I called them up I said hey I'm looking for office space for this period of time and they said uh, no we actually uh, we're only accepting this period of time and so if you have someone that's looking for two years for instance and the real estate investment trust has set out parameters that they will only accept a five year lease on that particular property they are willing to let that property sit vacant for the next five years versus get someone in there for two years and they're giving up some opportunity for some growth because they have very stingy different rules inside mm-hmm. of them. And that that's a huge risk that you don't have any control over saying, hey, let's be a little bit more flexible and let's get someone in there for two years while we try and find a longer term tenant. They won't do that. So that's a huge risk in terms of the profitability of that real estate investment trust. Not only that, you have to trust the management that is making that decision to not go broke because these expenses are still on this property that you're going to be paying for and they are willing to just let them sit for maybe five years, maybe 10 years, and you're invested in that. So that makes it a little bit more risky than the variable universal life and variable annuities, in my opinion.
1: We're talking with Grant Dorhout of Dorhout Retirement Services here. We're talking about climbing up this risk ladder from the least risky or potentially risky to the most potentially risky. Grant, we're right here towards the top. you got to tell me, are stocks next you got it. Uh, you got all it. All right. Winter, <laughs> winter, turkey a dinner. Winter, winter, turkey <laughs> yep. dinner. Okay.
2: There you go. <laughs> yeah. So the individual stocks, we obviously, we all love the individual stock returns when you look at something like Berkshire A or Berkshire B or Apple or Microsoft or some of these really, really successful companies over a very, very long period of time. But for every one of those, I, I like to think back, especially when I'm talking to retirees and pre retirees, when we look at a particular portfolio, we have have to think of what is the risk associated with it and then I think to what happened to BP. You know bp was mm-hmm. a great stock back in the day and it was growing and it had a fabulous dividend people loved it for their retirements because they could spin off that dividend and they could actually generate some income and they knew that the price of the stock was still going up and something that people cannot predict and they cannot control is the oil spill that they had and what happened there was they lost 50 percent of the value approximately and they canceled the dividend Well, the two reasons that people owned it went away basically overnight because of something that they could not predict and they couldn't control. So if you look at individual stocks and you like it, I have no problem with individual stocks. I own individual stocks. A very simple rule though, to prevent a detrimental outcome for your retirement is very simple. If you have BP back in the day, if you have Apple, if you have any stock that's out there that's individual, that's been a good one for you for a very long time, it's okay to have that. My recommendation is looking at no more than 5% in any individual position that you hold. That's a good way to stay away from that big risk that you have, or what we do here is we will utilize certain stock funds that we package these individual stocks together and we spread out that risk inside of the portfolio automatically. But that, individual stock risk definitely a little bit higher than a reit because of the potential of a you know if you have a bp or if, there, if there's an enron type situation that i've run into plenty of people in omaha that worked at enron when they were here and that type of risk is not going to happen to every company not at all but you don't want to get caught with that one that's going to create a real big problem in your retirement
1: Grant, just a couple minutes left here in the program, but we're at the top rung of the ladder right now in our risk-reward continuum. What is the top rung?
2: top one for me has got to be private equity. When you look at private equity that people are going to go into, I mean, you're taking a a shot on something that you're hoping that is going to become a good company. You know, so if you look at something like Shark Tank, they mean, it's not exactly that. But, but if you look at that type of a show, hey, I mean, these are not proven things, they are looking to try and expand and they may or they may not. And when you invest in some of these private equity firms, you could lose 100% of your value. And it could be in a very short period of time. I don't know that it matters if it's a short period of time or a long period of time, but if you're taking a gamble, so to speak, in private equity, you are looking at something that you are hoping turns into something big. I would put a much lower percentage of my net worth in something that's a private equity situation versus an individual stock. As you go up that risk ladder, my percentage goes lower and lower with how much we are comfortable putting in any one of those types of positions because I want to spread out that risk if, if we can, of course, and make sure that we, it's never going to be something in a private equity situation where you hear of professional athletes that put in $40 million of their $80 million net worth into a yeah. private equity situation. And it goes, poof, gone. Now, they still would have $40 million. Most people that are listening to this show probably aren't in that situation. So we have to temper our expectation and temper our risk by lessening the amount that we actually are willing to put in those risks riskier investments.
1: That's right. Are you hearing us here, Kansas City Chief Players? You got the big <laughs> contract. Consider that. We're talking with Grant Dorhout here at Dorhout Retirement Services, and we've been talking about the risk ladder from least to most. If you would like to get in and sit down with Grant and talk about your risk tolerance versus your risk capacity, because they are two different things. You've got questions about your portfolio. Maybe you've got a portfolio from someplace else. You want a second opinion on that. Or certainly, if you don't have a portfolio and you've got those beginning questions, we welcome everybody. Call 402 281 Seven fifty to set up an appointment with Grant. Again, there are some uh, opportunities for you in the coming weeks. Four zero two two eight one zero seven fifty is the number to call. No cost, no obligation. It's not going to cost you a dime. You can also request your plan online at DoorhoutRetirementServices.com. That's Doorhout, D O R H O U T RetirementServices.com. Grant, we're out of time for this week. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to everybody. For Grant Doorhout, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of of the retirement blueprint right here on News Talk 1290 Coil. The opinions voiced in the
0: retirement blueprint with Grant Dorhout are for general information and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Examples provided are hypothetical and for
2: illustrative purposes only. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. Investing in an alternative investment may only be suitable for persons who are able to assume the risk of losing a portion or all of their entire investment. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. All indices are unmanaged may not be invested into directly the performance of any index is not indicative of the performance of any investment and does not consider the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing investment advisory services offered through cwm llc and sec registered investment advisor jeff
0: shade and show guests are not affiliated with cwm llc